Hi, I'm Tom Power. Welcome to Toy Heart, a podcast about bluegrass. This is the last episode of season two here from Nashville is my conversation with Allison Krauss. I remember, you know, the first time I looked out in the audience and saw people singing words to our songs that only we had recorded. That was just a really crazy moment. Just never thought it would end up being there. Never thought we'd hear back from Rounder. Yeah. Never thought we would hear from Rounder in the first place. If this is your first time listening, you can hear full interviews with Jerry Douglas, Allison Brown, Bela Fleck, Larry Sparks, Jody Stecker, and so many more wherever you get your podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Later on. Hey, it's Cindy Howes and Lizzie No from the podcast Basic Folk, honest conversations with folk musicians. Basic Folk is truly changing the game with our well-researched deep dives that aim to empower the listener while fostering the folk community. I basically am writing worship music for youth group rejects. Maternal regrets and maternal guilt are universal. I try to make things that are beautiful and that are made with like a purity of intention. You can listen to Basic Folk on the Bluegrass Situation Podcast Network or at basicfolk.com. Oh my God, y'all, I can't even believe that I'm introing this episode. Oh my goodness, I'm still pinching myself after this interview with my hero since childhood, the one and only Carol Burnett. Oh boy, am I a lucky gal that I got her to myself for a full hour. You know, I've had the pleasure of meeting her twice. I got to sing for her at the Geffen Playhouse when they honored her at their gala. And then I also was a part of the CBS Carol Burnett Show anniversary special a few years ago with all of my comedy heroes. And she's always been the kindest, most lovely human. But I never got to sit with my hero and ask her all of the selfish questions <laughs> that you'd want to know from literally the best at your craft. I mean, Carol Burnett is the reason I'm a physical comedian. I grew up watching her show with my grandma. And I mean, Annie was one of my first favorite films as a little girl, Miss Hannigan. I don't know if in my life I will ever top a moment like this. This was my heart, my soul, my guts on the table in the sense of just pure and utter idolization of this supreme comedian, but also just one of the kindest, most generous human beings I've ever had the pleasure of being around and being able to talk with. And she has been through life we talk about her daughter's death and navigating that and spirituality and comedy and both of us being on CBS for 10 years plus, which is awesome. I feel so incredibly honored and grateful to give you all this episode of Harmonics with the one and only Carol Burnett. Hi, is this Beth? This is. Hi, sweetheart. How are you? I'm so good, Carol. Thank you so much for doing this. You have no <laughs> idea how. You're so <laughs> welcome. Thank you for asking me. How are you? How are you doing with all of this? 
Oh my goodness, girl. Yeah. <laughs> it has been a, it's a different world on sets, let me tell you. It took Oh, I can it, only imagine. Doing comedy with a mask on, you really have to use your eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> How are you doing with all of this? Well, like we're hanging in there. We're uh, you know, we've got my husband with me and our kitty cat and uh you know, we're just uh, uh just waiting, you know, and uh Hoping for the best. Have you found any new creative, like, I've been crafting up the wazoo. Have you found any, <laughs> any like, not weird really, talents? Not really. I, I've started to write again. <gasps> That's good. And, uh, and also, um, I kind of draw a little bit, you know, cartoons and things like that. Oh, my gosh. Is that something you've always done, the drawing? Yeah, as a kid, I did. Uh, before I got interested in show business... I wanted to be a comic strip uh, creator. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and I had this whole family. It was all it was all about a teenage girl. <laughs> and her name was Jody, and her father was Joseph, and the mother was Josephine, the brother was Joey, oh. and the dog was Jojo. <laughs> <laughs> and I drew them all in profile. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and I just had this crazy family going, you know, but then I, I, I lost interest and I haven't done anything since about that, except just kind of, yeah, I do doodles and uh, I get requests from charities to do doodles for charity. Oh, wow. For churches and things like that. And so, you know, so I have fun doing that. And then my husband and I tag team on crossword puzzles every morning. Oh my gosh, if you love crosswords, there is a show at the Geffen Playhouse right now that's all about puzzles and you watch oh, it. Oh wow. You watch it on Zoom and you solve the puzzles. My husband and I love crosswords too, and we just did it and it was like the best pandemic date night ever. I'll have to give oh. you all the info. This this amazing, he does the New York Times puzzles sometimes David Kwong. He it's wonderful. We we do too, you know, but then come Saturday I go crazy. Oh, yeah, girl. I can only do like Wednesday and maybe like Monday through Wednesday. I'm good. And then I definitely need my husband's help later in the I'm, week. I'm with, you, I'm with you there. And then Sundays are kind of fun. Oh, yeah. Those are the best. I think those have the best themes. Like they're usually yeah. pretty funny and witty. I like that. Yeah. That's, that's my yeah. favorite part. <laughs> oh, so was there a time? This is something I've always I know we've gotten to meet. It was like the best night of my life doing your reunion special on CBS a few years ago. It was oh, so... thank you. It was so great that you could come and do it. I really appreciate it. Are you kidding me? I was like shaking from the moment I found out I was going to do it till three months until we actually did it. It was truly, <laughs> Carol, like it was truly the best night of my life. I, oh, Steve, your, your you. manager, Steve, let me steal off the tables at the after party some of the Bob Mackie um, designs, costume designs, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I still have yeah. them hanging up in my room. Um, oh, wow. That's great. <laughs> but I've always wanted to ask you, when did you first know you were funny? Hmm. Well, uh, I, I was really quiet as a kid, pretty much at school. Uh, you know, I didn't, uh, also another thing I, I did was I would write, and I, I was thinking, uh, entertaining the idea of being a journalist. And I was uh, in my junior high and Hollywood high. Uh, I was editor of this, both school papers. And so I went to, I 
decided I wanted to go to UCLA after I graduated from Hollywood High and major in journalism. Well, I got to UCLA and they had no major in journalism. You could take a course in journalism, a, a course, and then join the school paper, but there wasn't a major. So I was looking through the catalog and I ran across theater arts. And so there were four sections of it, theater arts English, theater arts theater, theater arts film, theater arts, I think, set design or something like that. So I looked at it, I saw theater arts English, which would give me write, uh, writing courses, because I still entertain the idea of, of writing. Well, so I majored in theater arts English, and as a freshman, whether you're majoring in theater arts film, theater arts theater, or so, no matter what, you had to take, as a freshman, uh, an acting course, acting 1A, they called it, uh, and uh, scenery and costumes alongside your other uh, subjects, you know, English and so forth and so on. And so there I was, and I had to do this acting class. I (laughs) signed up for it, and there were only about 14 or 15 in the class. And I I got there late because I I was interested in other stuff first. So I was kind of the latecomer to the class, so everybody had already done a few scenes. And so the teacher said, uh, okay, uh, everybody's paired off, and I was the oddball. And she gave me uh, two monologues to choose from to do for the class. Everybody was going to have to do a scene. And she gave me a monologue from The Mad Woman of Chaillot and The Country Girl. And I looked at it, and I chose The Mad Woman of Chaillot because it was shorter (laughs) my life was shorter and I memorized it and everything but it didn't occur to me I was so stupid naive to read the play to know what it was about I had no idea oh my gosh (laughs) you know on on that they were doing all the scenes the other kids in the class and oh my god they were good real dramatic and (laughs) crying and doing all of these things and so forth and I got up I was the last one and uh, I said, I'm doing this scene from the Mad Woman of Chilet. I totally mispronounced it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I did the monologue. And now she, oh, she was tough. She's grading everybody. You know, and she's very tough. She comes to me. She said, I'm giving you a D minus. <gasps> you would get an F except for the fact that you at least memorized it. Oh. And so, oh, my God. Well, I thought, well, so what? You know, I... That wasn't what I was interested in. I was 18. And so now we had to do another scene. So I teamed up with a a fellow, a guy in the class, and we chose a scene from um, Noel Coward's uh, Red Peppers, where we had to sing a little thing and do a a scene. And... and, uh, I was a movie nut. I, my grandmother and I used to go to the movies. We'd save our pennies and go to movies on Hollywood Boulevard, you know, eight times a week. I think it was just a lot. And I loved Betty Grable oh. and I loved all of it. And so I I kind of channeled Betty Grable with a Cockney accent <laughs> to do this scene. And we did it and we got an A. Wow. Both of us got an A from and 
they laughed. Ah. And I thought, this is kind of a nice feeling. And so then I tried out for a one act at UCLA, and I got a part in uh, a one act that was all about a hillbilly family. And my roots are Texas and Arkansas. And so I was this hillbilly woman. And uh, I remember I came in and I had a couple of lines to say and so forth. And they laughed and I thought, wow, that is the best feeling. And all of a sudden, I decided that's what I wanted to do. Had there been a major in journalism, I wouldn't be talking to you now. Wow. (laughs) Because, you know, life can turn on a dime. You never know. I never knew that I could ever do this. And then later on, a guy from uh, at UCLA who was in the music department said, you know, he saw me in uh, in the one act. He said, can you carry a tune? And I said, yeah, because my mother and grandmother and I used to sing in the kitchen. My mother would play the ukulele and we would harmonize. Oh. And uh, I said, yeah. He said, well, I need uh, an extra in the chorus. We're doing a scene from South Pacific. And could you be one of the nurses in the chorus of a, they were going to do a song called Wash That Man Right Out of My Hair. Uh-huh. And so there was a wonderful gal who was the lead. She was playing uh, the lead in it, singing, and I was in the chorus. And all of a sudden I was belting out and I was too loud, so he <laughs> took me out of the chorus. And he said, you know what? I want to put you in a scene from Guys and Dolls. Oh, of course. Where you would sing <gasps> as Miss Adelaide and sing A Person Can Develop a Cold, oh. you know, Adelaide's Lament. And I said, oh, you mean, I, no, I can't sing alone. And he said, well, she has a cold. <laughs> and I thought, well, if I play it with a cold and that I don't sound too good, I can blame it on the fact <laughs> that the character has a bad cold. So that was the first song I ever sang in public. And I was thrilled because at the end of the semester, they had a little award thing that they do. And I was I got an award called the most promising newcomer at UCLA. Wow. So that was it. That that started it. Okay, Carol, I did not know this, but we have two huge things in common. What is it? First of all, I went to UCLA theater school, which I did know that you did as well. But I was a straight A student my entire life. Uh And when I got to UCLA... And got into my first show, which you get graded on. Yeah. I got a C. <laughs> and I, it's still the, it still pains me to this day. It's the only C I've ever gotten. And the, the instructor, he didn't like that I kept trying to be fun, that I was like making physical bits out of it. <laughs> and he gave me a C. That's still the only C on my report card. And I also was too loud in the chorus and they pulled me out. Oh my God. Of the the chorus. So it's nice to hear that we have that in common. Well, let me say we have bonded. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Carol, you just made my life that we bonded. It makes me feel so much better about that one C that ruined my entire life GPA that my. Hey, that was great. I got a D minus. I know you beat me. Woo. Well, it was also interesting because we we had no money and uh, we were on what they call relief, which is like welfare when I was growing up. So I remember when I graduated from Hollywood High, I told my grandmother, I said, I 
I want to go to UCLA. And she said, well, we can't afford that. Now, get this. It was 100 years ago. The the fee <laughs> was $43. Oh, my gosh. I just paid off my loans from UCLA, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> so, and we, our rent was $30 a month. We lived in one room. Wow. And, uh, and we could barely afford that. And so she said, no, no, you, we just don't have the money. So uh, we lived in one room, and our room uh, was right off of the lobby of the building that we lived in. So every morning I would look out, I would open the door, and I could look out across the lobby and see these pigeonhole mailboxes. And I knew which uh, uh, pigeonhole our mail would be in. And if there was an envelope or something, I'd run across the lobby and get it. So this one morning I opened the door, and there was an envelope in our slot, and I ran across the lobby, and I got the envelope, and I brought it back into the room, and it had my name on it typewritten with the address and everything, uh, uh, and no return address. I opened it up, and there was a $50 bill, (gasps) and to this day, I don't know where that came from. Oh, my goodness. But that was my ticket to UCLA. Wow. Yeah. I, you know, I have heard other and read your books and everything, and you've had a couple of those sort of like spiritual, I don't know what you want to call it, interventions it, well, yeah. in your it, life, yeah. right? Yep. I, could you tell everybody, I love the story, if you don't mind, about uh, the birds of paradise and your daughter and opening night with Hal Prince? Oh. <laughs> I, I know. I, I just... The spiritual, like things that have happened in your life that just make me feel like there's something bigger for all of us and nobody really is ever gone. Yeah. You don't know, but there's something. There is something. I do believe that. Uh, my daughter uh, and I had written a play uh, called Hollywood Arms, and it was about actually my growing up with my grandmother and mother in that building, which was called Hollywood Arms. And Carrie, my daughter had read my first book, and she said, let's let's write a play about you and your grandmother and mother, you know. So we did. We wrote it together, and we went to Sundance to work on it. And then we got the first 100 pages and everything. And I, uh, my, I, have, I had a friend in Hal Prince, Harold Prince, who was a great uh, Broadway director. The best, yes. Yeah. And uh, I sent it to him to say, do you know of any directors we can, you know, uh, maybe get, would be interested in this? And he said, how about me? (laughs) And then we went, oh my God. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. You know, so he, he helped us develop it and everything. And then uh, my daughter got sick and she uh, passed away with cancer. And just as we were going about to open um, a, tri- a trial run in Chicago at the Goodman Theater. And so uh, she had on her right shoulder, she had um, on her back a tattoo of a bird of paradise. I remember when she got it, I said, oh, Carrie, you don't want to get a tattoo. And I, you know, I, was, I was upset. It was actually quite, kind of pretty. Yeah, and she just loved it. It was kind of pastels and all. It wasn't bold uh-huh. or anything. And so that was her flower. So uh-huh. um, 
uh, we were going to open in uh, Chicago and uh, you know and and try the play out there first. And I remember my husband and I flew back to Chicago, and I said I said a little prayer on the plane, and I said, Carrie, if you're going to be, please be with me because I have to I have to finish the play. And I said, give me a sign that you're with me. I just need to know, you know, that I have you on my right shoulder, you know. Mm-hmm. And we got to the hotel room, and we checked in. And on the uh, dining room table in the hotel, in our rooms, was this beautiful array of birds of paradise. I thought, wow, that's really, and I, I said, and I got the card, and it was from Hal. He was in the same hotel. And he said, welcome, you know, to Chicago. Can't wait to see you tomorrow, our first rehearsal, and so forth. So I called him, and I said, how did you know? He said, know what? I said, that those were Carrie's flowers. And he said, I didn't. He said, I just called the florist and said, send something up that's kind of pretty, you know, and so forth to Carol. Wow. And, and it was Birds of Paradise. And then oh, the next night... We did our first rehearsal that next day, and so my husband and I and Hal, we went out to dinner at a restaurant in Chicago, and the maitre d' came up with a special thing of champagne, uh, you know, compliments of the house and so forth, and I looked at the label, and part of the label said Louise, and that was my mother's name, and that was Carrie's middle name. So I thought, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And we loved rain. Not torrents or floods or anything, but just (laughs) a nice nice rain. And opening night, it rained. So I had three signs. And I I said, okay, I'm just going to take them as signs that Carrie's Carrie's not too far away from me. You know, so. (laughs) Uh, Have you found that? during any difficulties in your life that sort of music or creativity or your art has been sort of a a healing modality for you? All I know is it was something that I I think I was meant to do uh, or all of these things wouldn't have happened. You know, these doors were, one door closed, you know, it's the old cliche, you know, it closed because they didn't have a major in journalism. Right, right. But then it opened the way for, you know, for me to be in theater. And uh, the the fact that I, I got the $50. And then, right. and then when uh, I was in at UCLA, I also went into the musical comedy department. And uh, I was doing stuff there, and the teacher uh, was said, I'm going to grade you guys, and I, I was doing a scene from Annie Get Your Gun, and uh, he said, my wife and I are being going down to San Diego, and we're going to, there's a party down there, black tie affair, uh, and I'm, and there were nine of us in the class, he said, so I'm going to invite all of you to come down and you'll be the entertainment at the party and I'll grade you there, you know, so it was this beautiful black type thing. And we all went down, drove down there and I did my scene and I went to the hors d'oeuvre table and I'm 
wrapping hors d'oeuvres <laughs> in a napkin to take home to my grandma, <laughs> and I'm putting them in my purse. <laughs> <laughs> I and love that. Tap on my shoulder, and I thought, oh my god, I'm busted, you know, <laughs> stealing hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> And I turned around, and it was this man and his wife. You know, he's in a black tie, and she's in a lovely gown. And he said, I really liked what you did. I said, thank you so much. He said, so what do you want to do with your life? I wow. said, well, someday I want to go to New York and be in musical comedy, you know, like Ethel Merman and Mary Martin. And uh, he said, well, why aren't you there now? And I said, oh, yeah, uh, <laughs> we didn't have the money. I said, I'm kind of trying to save up and hoping that I can someday get there. And he said, well, I'll lend you the money. Oh. And I thought, well, that's a champagne talking, you know. <laughs> and his wife said, no, he, he means it. And he gave me his card. He said, be in my office uh, next Monday. Wow. And oh. I got down there, and he said, this is a loan. Uh, you pay it back uh, in five years if you can't. Um, this is, uh, you must use the money to go to New York on. And if you uh, are successful, you must promise to help others out uh, that you believe in. And mm -hmm. you must never reveal my name. And it was a wow. check for a thousand dollars. And I mean, our rent was thirty dollars a month, and we barely could get that. <sighs> I thought, I mean, that's oh. like today if somebody gave me a hundred thousand or you yeah, know, it was just oh. unbelievable. And that got me to New York. And so, and I remember the uh, my classmates at UCLA because I I left. I was. I, after I was a sophomore and they said, okay, Carol, what are you, you going to do when you get to New York? I said, I'm going to be a musical comedy. And the first show I do is going to be directed by George Abbott. George Abbott was a big musical comedy director in New York. Oh yeah, He did the pajama game and damn Yankees oh, and so forth. Yes. So I said, and he's it's going to be, you know, directed by George Abbott. And, um, so I got back to New York. I, uh, there's a whole other story there, but it's too long to go into. But uh, as a result, uh, I I also uh, brought my kid sister back with me to uh, live with me. She was 12, and she needed uh, she needed guidance. My mother was sick, and my grandmother was too old to take care of her. So I, I became her kind of mother. And so this I had auditioned for. Richard Rogers, uh, for they were going to do wow. Babes in Arms in Florida and bring it back up to Broadway. And I got a few callbacks, and the director wanted me. But then he called and said, you know, Carol, they want a name. I'm so sorry. And, you know, I was disappointed. Not only had I hung up, and the phone rang, and it was a woman named Jean Eckert and her husband. They were producing a little show called Once Upon a Mattress. And they said, mm. well, could you come down this afternoon and audition for George Abbott? Oh, my gosh. And I got you manifested your life, Carol. You literally <laughs> visualized. Do you know how much people make trying to write books about this these days? Like, you could, <laughs> you could be the next Dalai Lama, the Dalai <laughs> Carol. Well, and I got the part. Yeah, of course you did. Yep. So it was like, wow. So that, that got me my big break was... Once upon a mattress. Oh, the best, 
best soundtrack I still listen to anytime I need to pick me up. It's <laughs> the most wonderful thing. Yeah, it's it's the fifty dollars, the thousand dollars, and then getting to work for George Abbott. All those things just kind of, you know, happened. Wow. And so I do. I don't know. I, and I remember my kid sister when they told me I didn't get the one part that was, you know, and she said, "Sissy, you always say." One door closes, another one opens, and that's when the phone rang for me to come down and audition. Oh, <laughs> wow. So it's just, um, you know, it, it, there was a mantra that my daughter, Carrie, that I, I do too. When she was sick in the hospital, and it, it was bad, and, you know, we knew it, the end was near. And I was walking down the hall to her room, and the nurse stopped me and she said, I have to talk, talk to you about your daughter. What? She said, when we go into her room, she cheers us up. And I oh. said, well, that's sweet. And, I, and she said, nice. I asked her, I said, Carrie, how come you're always so up, or, you know, in spite of what you're going through? And she said, every day I wake up and I decide, and that's a key word. I decide today I'm going to love my life. Wow. And that's something to say every day when you wake up. Wow. You know, I'm just going to love my life because what have we got? We've got, you know, whatever it's all, it is. That's all we got. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and to just love it that, we're, you know, and uh, know that good things can happen. Absolutely. Ah. Oh. Carol, when's your next book? We need it. Keep writing. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's, I think, you know, that whole, any spiritual practice is always all about, you know, making the best of the present moment. But if you decide that that present moment is going to be a wonderful one and you're going to use it to uplift others, then what a beautiful life, no matter right. what else happens. That's right. I uh, will literally write that down and put it <laughs> just in my journal forever after this. <laughs> interview. Oh, I love that. I'd love to talk about something else we have in common is uh, I'm going into my 10th year on CBS. And I know oh. you've spent many a year on CBS with the Carol Burnett show. And I would love to hear about what the creative process was like for that show, because I know that CBS initially told you that comedy variety is a man's game. Right. <laughs> and I was so I'm just curious, how did that all sort of play out? Well, what happened was after I got into Once Upon a Mattress, there was a wonderful man named Gary Moore, and he had a comedy variety show. And uh, so at one point I was doing Mattress and then I had done some Gary Moore morning shows. He'd had a morning show, too. And so he knew my work and was very sweet, and, and I would go on his morning show every so often and do uh, comedy bits and stuff. And so uh, this one Sunday, he called and said that their guest star for that, because uh, he had a variety show on Tuesday nights, the guest star that week, Martha Ray, who was a brilliant comedian, was sick, and they'd been rehearsing, and they were going to go live Tuesday night. And she had bronchitis and she flew and he said, can you come over and learn the part, you know, learn the stuff? It was over there like Roadrunner. 
(laughs) (laughs) Just come on over and learn it real quick for live television. (laughs) And I learned the show. Wow. And uh, so I, he was, he was very pleased and he told the audience, you know, that I'd come over and and just because Martha was sick. And so, so then I became a regular performer on his show and doubled doing mattress for oh my uh, gosh but i was young so i was okay <laughs> you know and uh and so all of that worked out great and um so then uh, but i learned from gary we were second bananas as they call him you know mm-hmm. supporting players to him it was his show right and derward kirby was the second banana kind of like you know we did with harvey and tim and vic so forth and um i remember sitting Several times at the reading on Mondays, you know, as a table read, he would say he would have a joke or a punchline. Many times he would say, you know what, give this line to Carol or give it to Durward. They could say it funnier than I can. Wow. That's the kind of man he was. I mean, for a man to, in comedy to do that, that is huge. He was, he was just so generous. Wow. Because, and I remember I thought, Gary, it was, we were talking and he said, Look, it might have my name on the show, but we're a rep company. You know, oh. I'm going to support you. You can support me in sketches. Derwood can support, you know, it was a true rep company, if, even though it was the Gary Moore show. So when I got my show, not only did I want that kind of feel, you know, I wanted of course. A, a great, uh, great rep company, not second bananas. Right. But, you know, it was, all of us were in it together, even though it said my name. And also the fortunate thing was Gary, Gary's show ran like clockwork. It was live on Tuesday nights. So we really had to know what we were doing and so forth. And, you know, we didn't like some the tape now and everything. They go into two or three o'clock in the morning, which is ridiculous. Oh, yeah. Been there. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so when I got my show... We had the head writer of the Gary Moore Show, we had the choreographer of the Gary Moore Show, even the lead dancer came out, a couple more writers, and the director of the Gary Moore Show. So when we started my show, we had no labor pains. Wow. We knew exactly what we were doing because we did it when we were on Gary's show. You were already a company, yeah. Yeah, there was no... We, it was like clockwork. Mm. We never ran late. Uh, we taped it in front of a studio audience. We would do, we'd tape about an hour 15 because it would go a little over because I do Q&A. And right. uh, it would, I was a, a stickler about not keeping the audience waiting. Of course. Because that was my Broadway training. Yeah, theater girl. <laughs> so... We did quick changes. The scenery would change right away. And it was, we did, did it just like we would do a Broadway show. So the audience would sit there and be entertained the whole time and not have to wait yeah. between scenes or any of that. or not. And we didn't rewrite in front of the audience like some of them do. You know? Oh, you lucky, lucky ducky. <laughs> a new scene right there. We, yeah. you know, with all the music with all of the guest stars, with all uh, the sketches, all the changes, yeah. we'd be out in a, a little over two hours. Wow. 
Like so a Broadway like show. The audience would be watching a, a little Broadway show. Yeah. Oh, magic. And we would take our guest stars out to dinner at Chasen's. Aww. So we'd be out of there, you know. Uh, and uh, it, w- it was just great. Uh, I remember we were at Television City, and we'd be leaving, and we would see all the other studios. Their lights would be going, you know, the red light would be going. And you know they'd be there till one or two o'clock <laughs> in the morning. <laughs> and you were already three martinis in. You're like, you I'm got good. it. <laughs> right. Wow. Yeah. So it was, uh, you know, it was easy, and uh, we just didn't flog a dead horse. You know, it's. I know. We, and uh, and we, so we did it as much like a live show as we could. And there's such a rhythm and a music to comedy, right? And when you interrupt that. Right. With rewriting in front of them, you know, the oh. whatever, the, the electricity, the cosmic sort of that we all know. There's... It's why have an audience? Exactly. Right. You know, right. I, I remember I did Hot in Cleveland and, uh, and you know, and I love Betty White. That's why I wanted oh, to do it. Yes. And, and uh, but we, it's just like 20, 21 minutes of show, right? We'd be there for five hours. <laughs> you know, I mean, the audience would have to go home and shave again. It was just, <laughs> you know, <laughs> insane. <laughs> no, it's not, you know, it's just, I remember I was doing a show on uh, at uh, Disney, and we were doing, we were in, in the middle of, of the sketch, and it was going, the audience was laughing and everything, and we hear from the booth, uh, cut, stop, and I thought, what's wrong, what happened? <laughs> And there was a picture behind us that was crooked. And they sent the stage manager in to straighten out the picture. Oh, my. I went, oh, oh. <laughs> what is the matter with, you know. Don't it, ruin the music. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. man. We were on a roll. Everything was fine. It wasn't my show. I was doing a, another show. But I couldn't believe it, you know. It's like, well, how dare they interrupt you for a <laughs> picture? I know the people. Uh, it's so hard to explain to people that there's like there's a rhythm to music. Like you wouldn't interrupt a conductor in a concert, and comedy needs that absolutely. same, especially a situation comedy live audience feel. You know? Uh, yeah, you know. My view is why have an audience? That would make me crazy. You know, to keep a poor audience like that sitting there. You know, I couldn't shoot it single cam. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so anyway, like I said, we we did our show as if we were doing a Broadway show, which is amazing. And you know, it worked. I I I was never tired. I was always, you know, I had great hours. I was able to go to work after I took my kids to school. Yes, perfect. And I was able to finish rehearsals and pick my kids up after school. That's the best. Sitcoms are the same way because you you're just rehearsal. It's basically a nine to five until show night. That's, That's right. It's the best thing to start a family on. <laughs> not everybody listening. I'm not starting a family yet. Don't get any ideas that I'm pregnant, but <laughs> it's a good. Yeah. Did you ever have a sense during the run of the Carol Burnett show just how groundbreaking it would be for women? Not really. Did that even cross your mind? Nope, not at all. Not, because I I just kind of fell into it right out of the Gary Moore show, and I've been doing that, so it wasn't like oh gosh I'm a woman gonna do it. Uh, it it never occurred to me, and um, it you know it's, it it was just what I was doing, and uh, you know luckily it it, it worked. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
It definitely worked. <laughs> they didn't. They, yeah, they didn't think we would. They, in fact, they already were thinking of a replacement after the first season. Oh my gosh! Uh, you know, I, before before we started, they they were already looking ahead. Oh man! You know, for a replacement. Yeah, but then I thought, okay, well, because I had it in my contract that they had to do thirty shows. Right. And so that was it. So I thought, okay, so we do thirty. And you know that's good, and, uh, but then thirty turned into more and more and more, and we wound up with like oh, I think twelve seven years, yeah, six, twelve uh, years, right? Something like that over eleven years. Wow. And I have to say about Bob Mackey. Yeah. Of course, you know when you did the fiftieth, we talked oh, about this yes. on the fiftieth. But he did average sixty-five costumes to seventy a, a week. Whoa. So you add up all all oh. of those shows. He designed over 17,000 oh costumes. Oh, God. Because wow. he, he did every, everything everybody wore. It wasn't just what I wore. It was, you he know, did what it I would all. wear. Yeah, all of that. And, you know, the dancers, the singers, the guest stars, mm. the rep company, uh, you know, all of that. It's just uh, nobody can come close to uh, the accomplishments that he did, that he accomplished. And playing a character to have those kinds of costumes each week that just, I mean, it only elevates right. the artistry of the actors too, because. I never, lots of times, Beth, I didn't know how I was going to do a character until I knew how I was going to look. Right. Yes, of course. It's a huge part of the creative process. Yes. Right. Oh, that's right. so, Bob Mackey, I love it. Well, Bob, if you're listening, I still have your sketch on my wall <laughs> um, from Carol on the show that I stole from the after party. <laughs> How did you get Bob Mackey on the Carol Burnett show? Were you friends beforehand or the Gary Moore show? No, uh, Bob, uh, We, my husband who, was, uh, who produced the Gary Moore show, and of course he was going to do our show. And I, we watched, because uh, we know we were going to do our show, and we hadn't gone on the air, you know, we, this was, uh, we went on in September. So by like January, earlier of that year, we're looking for people, you know, not yeah. only our rep company, but uh, scenery and costumes and stuff. <laughs> and we'd seen Mitzi Gaynor yeah. do a show. And the costumes were not only beautiful, but she, she was also kind of a clown. <laughs> and she was funny. And there were some funny outfits that she wore. And we looked at who, you know, who was a costume designer, said Bob Mackey. Then we saw a version of Alice in Wonderland oh. on TV with Carol Channing and stuff. So, and the costumes were out of this world. Again, Bob Mackey. <laughs> so we thought, well, let's call Bob Mackey. So we did. And so we made an appointment and he was going to come over to the house, you know, to meet us and talk to us. And bing bong, and I opened the door. Oh, my gosh. And it looked like he was 12 years old. Oh. You know, he was 24, 25, something like that. And I said, Aww. you can't be Bob Mackey. He said, yeah, I am. <laughs> and he came in. We had a, a meeting. We hired him right on the spot. Wow. And that was, he, he had assisted um, Edith Head, you know, who was a big costume designer at Paramount. Yes. For years when he was oh, yes. like 19 or 20 or 21, you know, so he, and uh, he was with us the whole 11 years. Wow. 
And, and he's done all my specials, too. Yes. That I did with Beverly Sills and Julie. No, not Julie. He did Julie later when we did our last two shows. The first show, uh, I didn't know Bob then and with with Julie. And uh, Placido Domingo, Dolly Parton, oh. all of those. He, he designed all of the costumes for those specials. Speaking of Julie, your guys's friendship over the years in this business how yeah how has that evolved I mean it's one of my favorite things it just seemed like you guys have literally the best sisterhood <laughs> in all of comedy and all of movies and television yeah well we call each other chum chum and what ha happened was she was in Camelot and I was in Once Upon a Mattress so she was playing a queen and I was playing a princess and Amazing. so um Somebody, uh, her manager said, who knew me through the Gary Moore show, and also the producer of the Gary Moore show, uh, the executive producer, Bob Banner, said, you two ought to get to know each other. And so on her night off from Camelot, we were on, she came to see Mattress. Aww. And then we went out to have a Chinese dinner with uh, the two, uh, with Bob Banner and, and uh, her manager and Julie and me. And they couldn't get a word in. <laughs> Julie and I were just chattering away like we had known each other forever. And then they booked her on the Gary Moore show. Oh. And so we did, uh, yeah, we did a number together. And it was, uh, it, it, it was a finale where we were two, like, cowboys or cowgirls. <laughs> and it was so good. I mean, the audience... I've never seen it before. Maybe they do it now once in a while, but the television audience, the live the, in the audience, stood up and gave us a standing ovation. Whoa. Oh, wow. And it was like, wow. So then the idea came that we should do a special together. Oh. And uh, CBS wasn't interested. They what? said, well, what's the point? You know, Carol... Is they see Carol every week, and nobody knows who Julie Andrews is west of New York City because <laughs> she was she hadn't done movies yet. So wow, uh, it was like okay, you know. So uh, this one afternoon, I was at an affiliates luncheon, and I'm sitting at a table with the uh, with Gary Moore and uh, some big CBS executives. And, you know, I'm saying, well, it's just a shame you guys don't want us. I guess maybe Julie and I could go over to NBC because they're in color now. You know? <laughs> it was just so Good for you. And it, and, you know, so, but, but they were still holding back. And so after the lunch, we walked down and it was pouring rain. It was Madison Avenue, pouring rain. And uh, Oscar Katz and Mike Dan, who were two big CBS executive said, we'll wait for, you know, we'll, we'll try to get, help you get a cab. And I said, don't worry. I said, I'll get a, I'll get a ride. Somebody's going to pull up and offer me a ride. Oh. <gasps> a beer truck pulled up <laughs> yes. and the guy leaned out and said, Hey, Carol, you need a lift? Oh my God, Carol. <laughs> and they hoisted me up into the cab <laughs> and the beer truck, the guy drove me to my apartment on Central Park South. Oh. I got out. I'm going up to my room, my apartment, put the key in the thing. The phone is ringing and it's Mike Dan. He said, you got your show. 
Wow. <laughs> it was just, I guess, you know. And then we did the Julie Carroll at Carnegie Hall. And uh, we won all kinds of awards. Which is still on YouTube. Did you know that it's on YouTube and that whenever I feel sad, <laughs> I put on Julie and oh. you at Carnegie Hall and it never fails during this pandemic oh. to make me feel better. I just love oh. it. The history, oh. the history of musical comedy song is the best thing ever. Isn't that brilliant? It's brilliant. That was Ken Welch and Mike Nichols wrote that. Mike Nichols wrote that with, I didn't know that. Wow. With Kenny Welch. With Kenny yeah. Welch. And, well, at the end, the finale, I think that's on YouTube, where, where Cowgirl. Yes. That was the one that we From did Gary. on the Gary Moore show. Oh, okay. Uh-huh. Wow. Can you do another one? Like, come on. Ooh. We need some Julian Carroll pandemic performing. <laughs> <laughs> well, unfortunately, you know, Julie doesn't sing anymore. But you could maybe do like a, a comedy on Zoom or something where it's just sketches. Well, <laughs> Well, we were thinking just, you know, sit and reminisce and show clips, you know. Truly, though, you guys should do that. It's fine. We'll produce it for you. Don't even worry about it. We'll just come okay. sit with some. <laughs> I'll bring some tea. The problem, you know, we've, we've, we've talked about that, but it's getting clearances from all of oh. the various clips and things that we did, oh. you know. So I think the cost is prohibitive. Well, you know. Well, if they know, they could make so much money doing that. So we'll we'll have to put that into the universe because that would be that would be okay. my dream. I think yeah. everybody else would like to see that too. It would be fun to. It would be very fun. We do you still talk? Do you guys yeah. still talk? Like, are you do you keep up? You know, during the yeah. pandemic and stuff. Well, she's 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 back east. Okay. You know, in the Hamptons, and yeah, but we you know we get in touch and then we email a lot. Oh, good. That makes me happy. So we have these final funny questions that we ask everybody. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> I know. Get ready, though. They're not, they're not too hard. Well, this one might be. You can only bring three records with you to a deserted island. What would they be and why? Oh. Well, I love Tony Bennett. Mm, yes. So I would bring... You don't say records anymore. Is it CDs or whatever? We actually are into records. We do love records. Oh, good. My mother used to have all the vinyl stuff, all of that. Yeah. Oh, I, I love would, it. Tony Bennett. I would also, I think Beverly Sills. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, the most beautiful voice. And I adored her. We did a special together called Stills and Burnett at the Met. And wow. uh, that was such fun. And she was just, she, her nickname was Bubbles. <laughs> and uh, she was bubbly. She, <laughs> she, she was one of the most fun, cheerful. Ever. So I would take some, something of hers because it would just take me back to how, what fun we had. And also just to hear that glorious voice. Oh, and, yes. oh, let me think. Uh, the third one. You know, I might do New Faces of 1952. <gasps> Ooh, is that a compilation record? No, it's it's a Broadway show. Oh, New Faces. Wow, I'm was, such a Broadway nerd. I'm so embarrassed I don't know New Faces. Well, I'm going to listen as soon well, as we get it off. Was, 
called New Faces of 1952. Wow. Okay. And it's very with Alice Ghostly and Paul Lind, and it's comedy, and it was very funny. Oh, so awesome. That was the first album I ever got. I was at UCLA. So, yeah, that would take me back. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm going to try to find it. If I find it, I'm going to have Steve. I'll mail it to you because yeah. I love it. Was Eartha Kitt? Oh. Eartha Kitt, Alice Ghostly, Paul Lind. Amazing. Oh, gosh. But yeah, and, you know, they were new faces. Right. At the time. Wow. So. What subject do you Google the most? What subject do I Google the most? I don't Google that much. Okay, that's a really good answer. I would have laughed if you said myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, sometimes I YouTube myself. Ooh, that's fun. It's not like I'm Norma Desmond, you know, <laughs> looking back. <laughs> but lots of times uh, I, I want to see some of the things that Harvey and Tim did. Yes. You know, it just it brings, it brings back such good memories. And to look at Vicky at yeah. 18, raw behind the ears, I mean, you know, and to see how she developed. I mean, it's, it's just fascinating. That's fun. Thank God for YouTube. I, I'm, I'm really happy with that internet invention for all of us artists. Yeah, right. It's a good yeah. one. So we have a obsession with Dolly Parton on harmonics. It's, you know, she's just been a huge oh. part of my life growing up. So usually I ask my guests a Dolly Parton trivia question. But because you actually have worked with her, I just wondered if you had any yes. fun Dolly stories. Well, we were uh, we were there, and it was in November, and we were rehearsing and everything, and it was Thanksgiving. So we're all in a hotel. She's got a home there in Nashville, you know, because we did it at the uh, Opry. Yes. And uh, so we were rehearsing and everything. And so I, we were going to order Thanksgiving dinner from the hotel kitchen. And there's a knock at the door, and there's Dolly and somebody else with her, wasn't her, wasn't her husband, with a whole big thing of a home-cooked turkey dinner. <gasps> and she cooked it. She did with I everything mean... with it. Yeah. Oh, what yeah. can't she do? She got us the COVID <laughs> vaccine. I mean, she's just, wow. Yeah, every story I've heard of her is just like you. You know, you never hear a bad word and only hear about uh -oh. how generous and grateful. And, you know, as a young artist yeah. coming up, like that's something I'll always remember and something obviously my parents instilled in me. But well, I, th I think some of uh, what we did is on YouTube. Yes. It is, I'm oh, sure. Dolly and I did. No, it is. Yeah. I've seen it. I've yeah. seen it. It's it's amazing. <laughs> and that was Ken Welch. <laughs> oh, that was Ken yeah. Welch too. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Ken Ken Welch did all all my specials. Oh, he did. Okay. Uh, with uh, yeah, with Robert Preston, with um, uh, with the last two with Julie, the one with Placido Domingo, mm. and Beverly Sills. Yeah, Ken and, and his wife Mitzi, and then they wrote on our show too. So he was, he was they were brilliant. Oh, that's so awesome. Okay, I won't keep you any longer. Even though my grandma is definitely like freaking out in heaven right now that I've been talking to you for an hour because oh. 
<laughs> she would be so proud. Oh. oh, thank you, Beth. Oh, Carol, you have no idea. I'm just sitting here looking at my producer tearing up basically anytime you laugh or say anything. Like, you have no idea how much you've made my life. <laughs> so I just... Oh, sweetheart, thank you. I will be eternally grateful to you forever. Will you take care, stay well, stay safe? You too. And, you know, maybe we can lock eyeballs again when all this is over. Oh, I would just love that so much. Me Thank too. Thank you so, so much. Oh. Thank you, honey. You take care. Stay safe and healthy and all of the good things. <laughs> all right, darling. Take care. Bye-bye. Well, my life is significantly changed by that interview. Is yours... What a generous soul. You know, they say don't ever meet your heroes. Well, <laughs> meeting her, she was even more generous and kind and hilarious and wonderful than I could have ever imagined. It's so interesting because I feel like back then, you really not only had to be a triple threat and just so supremely dedicated to your craft. You know, people wanted to be artists, not... YouTube stars and branding experts on, you know, Instagram influencers. I just feel like her and Julie Andrews, these heroes of mine from that time, not only did you have to be constantly working hard on your craft, but you also had to be a good person. And you worked and got ahead because of your kindness and your generosity and your talent. But that being grateful for the opportunities and staying grounded and humble was just what you did. This sort of me, 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 me culture, I feel like has just gotten so much worse. And it was so refreshing to hear from one of my idols who I just want to model myself after in every single day, every single way. I just think she's truly the classiest and the most hilarious and it doesn't get better than Carol Burnett. This episode of Harmonics was produced and edited by Chris Jacobs and is only possible with the superb leadership of executive producer Amy Reitenauer Jacobs, research producer Courtney Locks, and the entire team over at the Bluegrass Situation. Don't forget to subscribe to the Harmonics newsletter for giveaways and special updates from yours truly over at harmonicspodcast.com. Theme music by Allison Russell. Discover more at Allison Russell Music on Instagram and wherever you stream your music. I'm your host, Beth Bears. Until next time, always remember that creativity is healing and healing is creative. Harmonics is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>